Today we're uh, continuing in our series, Fridge-Worthy, Encouraging Truths for Everyday Life. And here in a few minutes, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. If you're a person who brings your Bible and you like to turn there, you can go ahead and do that now and uh, hold your place. Uh, Joshua 1, 9 is without a doubt one of the most referenced encouraging truths in the Bible. Uh, this really is the epitome of a fridge-worthy verse. Uh, it shows up quite frequently in artwork at Hobby Lobby. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that? In fact, in our home, we recently purchased some of that Hobby Lobby artwork. And uh, Joshua 1.9 now hangs above our front door, uh, reminding us of its truth every time we leave our house. Here's what Joshua 1.9 says. This is God speaking. This is my command. By the way, I'm reading from the NLT. I did not tell the, the video team that, so you probably have the NIV behind me. But this is what Joshua 1.9 says, and then we're going to read the whole text here in a few minutes. Joshua 1.9, God speaking. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Can we agree that that is an absolutely fantastic verse of the Bible? It's an amazing verse. God spoke these words to Joshua somewhere around 3,300 years ago for the situation that Joshua was facing at that time. But through the Bible, he speaks these words to each of us here today in whatever situation we are facing, in whatever situation you are personally facing, God says to you, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for I am with you. Let me start today by giving a little bit of background information to our text. What the setting was, who Joshua was, and what Joshua was called to do. The setting for what we're going to read today is that Moses had led the children of Israel out of captivity uh, from Egypt, out of bondage to the Egyptians. God had called them to enter the promised land, but because of fear and lack of faith, they had failed to take possession of the promised land. They had failed to enter the land that God had given them. You may remember how some of this story went, that they sent these 12 spies into the promised land to assess the challenge. And the 12 spies came back and 10 of the spies told of how there were giants in the land and, and there was no way that they were going to be able to defeat them. And, and these enemies were just too ferocious and too fierce and there was just no way they were going to be able to take the land. And only two of the spies came back and they affirmed what the other spies said. Yes, there are giants. Yes, they are ferocious warriors. But they came back with a faith-filled report that the people of God would be able to defeat the armies of the promised land and do as God had said and possess their promise. Those two faith-filled spies were Caleb and Joshua, who the Lord spoke to here in Joshua 1.9 and who is the namesake of the book of Joshua. The Israelites heeded the advice of the ten unbelieving spies, which shows us that consensus is generally a good thing, but consensus is not always 
correct. And so because of the unbelief, they ended up wandering in the wilderness for nearly 40 years. God would not permit the unbelieving people to possess the promised land. And so it was not until the unbelieving generation died off that God was going to permit them to enter the promised land. At the point where the book of Joshua picks up the story, Moses, the great leader of the children of Israel, has died at the top of Mount Nebo. He was overlooking the promised land, but he was not permitted to personally enter the promised land. Now Moses was a man of great faith. He's listed in Hebrews 11 among the heroes of the faith. But Moses was not able to enter the promised land because of his disobedience to God, which is recorded in Numbers 20, if you want to uh, read that sometime. Those of you who are familiar with the story, you know that the people needed water, and, and God told Moses to speak to the rock, and water would come out of it. And Moses, in a fit of anger, instead struck the rock with his staff. God was gracious, and water still came out to quench the thirst of the people, but Moses had disobeyed God, and for that disobedience, God did not permit Moses to enter the promised land. And so the setting for what we're going to read today is that the children of Israel are at the threshold of the promised land. The unbelieving generation has died off. Moses has died at the top of Mount Nebo, again, overlooking the promised land, but able, unable to enter it. And Joshua, one of the two faith-filled spies from nearly 40 years earlier, and one of only two from his generation who were permitted to enter the promised land, Joshua has now been appointed leader of God's people. They are finally positioned to possess the promised land. So that's the setting for what we're about to read. They, they are right on the threshold. They're there. They're ready to enter and begin to take hold of the promised land. Now let's talk a little bit about this man named Joshua. As I've already mentioned, he was one of the two spies who came back with a faith-filled report. We can do this with the Lord's help. After the uh, escape from Egyptian captivity, Joshua had led the Israelites to victory in their first battle after escaping Egypt against the Amalekites. So he was a military leader. Joshua went with Moses to Mount Sinai when Moses received the Ten Commandments. He was with Moses when he descended Mount Sinai and found the people of God worshiping a golden calf. When Moses would go and meet with the Lord in what was called the Tent of Meeting, Joshua was the one who was the caretaker of the tent. Joshua had been Moses' personal aide for 40 years. And when Moses disqualified himself from leading the children of Israel, God chose Joshua to be the one who would lead his people. And Moses, in great obedience to God, laid his hands on Joshua in front of the whole community of God's people and transferred his leadership to Joshua. So we know the setting of what we're about to read. We know who Joshua was. And now let's understand what Joshua was called to do. So he's on the threshold of the promised land. God has promised that they can take the land. But now understand what that actually means for these people who have to obey God's command to possess the land. 
First of all, remember they could have done this 40 years earlier, but they hadn't. They hadn't done it. Remember also that it's called the promised land because God had promised it to them. He had promised. He had told them that it was theirs, that he was giving it to them. But they had a role to play. It was up to them to actually possess it. In other words, God had promised them success, but they still had to physically enter the land, confront the enemies, and fight some battles. And so Joshua now is at that place where it is time to begin to fight these battles. By this point, the Israelites probably numbered around 2 million people. So Joshua was tasked with leading a group of people the size of greater Columbus into a strange land and conquering it. This would involve getting two million people across the Jordan River, which did not have any bridges available. They would have to confront the inhabitants of the promised land who were vicious, warring people. They would have to overtake Jericho. They would have to defeat the city of Ai. They would have to defeat the southern kings and their armies. They would have to defeat the northern kings and their armies. They'd have to defeat the kings that were east of the Jordan. And they would have to defeat the kings that were west of the Jordan. Just west of the Jordan. Only that area, west of the Jordan. They were going to have to face the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. None of these were pleasant people. And they were going to have to face down each and every one of them. The list of kings that they had to defeat had to defeat just west of the Jordan. You can read this toward the end of the book of Joshua. Just west of the Jordan, the list of kings they had to defeat, numbers 31. 31. The point is that while God had promised the land to the Israelites, he required them to actually do something to possess the promise. He would help them, but they had to conquer the land that he had promised them. Joshua was appointed to lead this effort, which was a daunting challenge. So after 40 years... The Israelites are on the threshold of the promised land. Joshua is the leader appointed by God to lead them into that land. And they have this massive undertaking ahead of them in possessing what God has promised. And so with that background, that understanding of the setting, let's read Joshua 1, 1 through 9. I'll read, you follow along as I do. And again, I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. Here's what we find. After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I am giving them. I promise you what I promised Moses. Wherever you set your foot, you'll be on land I have given you. From the Negev wilderness in the south to the Lebanon mountains in the north, from the Euphrates River in the east to the Mediterranean Sea in the west, including all the land of the Hittites, no one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. 
For I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you or abandon you. Be strong and courageous. For you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen to the word of God. We, 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 every once in a while, I wish we were more Pentecostal around here. You know, in Pentecostal churches, all you got to do is read that verse and like the place goes wild. It's impressive. It's impressive. No, 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 I'm not going to try it again. You missed your chance. But uh, anyway, not, not going to beg, not going to beg. The first thing I want to draw your attention to from our reading is that even people with great faith sometimes face challenges that tempt them to become fearful and discouraged. Joshua had seen God deliver his people from the Egyptians. He had seen the people of God walk across the Red Sea on dry ground. He had seen God empower him and the army of Israel to defeat the Amalekites. He had been on Sinai with Moses. And yet it appears that at this point in the story, he was tempted toward fear. 39 to 40 years earlier, he had been one of only two men who said, we can take the land. But now at this point in the story, positioned to actually do it, it appears that Joshua was struggling with some fear. Three times in the first nine verses of Joshua, God says to him, uh, be strong and courageous. And then on the third time, God added, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. It's been said that fear is the absence of faith. And I think that's true. But the reality is that we are not robots. We are flesh and blood human beings who sometimes come up against circumstances and enemies that cause us or at least tempt us to become fearful and discouraged. I'm thankful that the Bible acknowledges this. I'm thankful that the Bible gives us some examples of heroes of the faith who still sometimes found themselves uncertain, fearful, or at least tempted to fear, discouraged, or at least headed in the direction of discouragement. When you understand what was facing Joshua, the enormity of the task, I mean, think about this. He was following an incredible leader. Nobody wants to follow an incredible leader. They want to follow a horrible leader. <laughs> you, you, you don't want to follow a great leader. I, I admire Ryan Day so much. Who wanted to follow Urban Meyer? 
Ryan Day did. And he's doing a great job. But usually you want to follow the guy that destroyed everything. Because <laughs> you look better that way. You look better that way. But, but he was following a, an incredible, incredible leader. He was needing to lead millions of people. He was needing to undertake the conquest of a land that was full of vicious and formidable people. You can understand why he may have been struggling with all of that. When you are tempted to fear, or you are fearful, when you're tempted toward discouragement, or you are actually discouraged, you need to know that you're in good company. You're in good company. Because even heroes of the faith experienced fear and discouragement. Well, I do think that in some sense fear is a lack of faith. I don't think it's an insult to your faith if you're struggling with fear or discouragement. It simply means that you're human and that sometimes humans get overwhelmed by the difficulties in their life, the circumstances of their life. They get overwhelmed by the enemies that they are facing. Sometimes you see in Scripture that God responds to people's lack of faith with judgment, as he did in the case of the Israelites who refused to possess the promised land 40 years earlier. And then other times you see God respond to people's fear or discouragement by encouraging them, as he did with Joshua here in the text that we just read. Here's what I think the difference is. Here's what makes the difference. God is displeased when fear causes people to say no to him and to his plans. That's when he says to people, hey, guess what? You're not going to the promised land because I told you to do it and you said no. You're not going. But when people are fearful, but they continue to say yes to God and his plans, that's when he says to them, be strong and courageous. That's when God encourages them. I think Joshua here is facing some fear and discouragement, but he was still saying yes to God. He, he still intended to do what God had directed. He continued to trust the promise of God to enter the land and they would possess it. Fear isn't disqualifying. Being fearful isn't disqualifying. It's not an indictment of our faith as long as we keep saying yes to God. It only becomes an indictment of our faith when we get to the place where we say to God, no, I won't. I hope that I use myself as a negative example enough that you will tolerate me today using myself as a positive example. I'm going to do it either way, but I hope that that's the case. When we planted the church here in 2005, I was 35 years old. I had a five-year-old child and a one-year-old child. We were starting with a very nice group of committed people who were faithful givers. But there was not enough historical giving from the launch group to pay for all of the expenses that the new church was going to have and at the same time pay me a livable salary. 
So I went about trying to find a tent-making vocation, but I struck out everywhere I tried. It seems that once you get pastor on your resume, everybody else assumes you're worthless for any other job. And so, and so I struck out. I even tried to become a TSA agent and somehow did not impress enough through that process to get a job. Now, I haven't flown in over 20 years, but I understand that being unable to become a TSA agent is possibly a source of embarrassment. <laughs> no offense to any TSA agents we have here today. Yikes. Before being a pastor at Eastside Vineyard Church in Pickerington, I had managed apartments. I had managed uh, three different very large properties with a couple different owners. I was well qualified to get a job in this field. I could not get hired anywhere that I tried. And finally, I think out of, you know, kindness, but there was probably a little bit of pity mixed in there as well, the elders said to me, well, let's just start the church assuming we're going to pay you and see how it goes. And it went well, and I've been able to be a full-time pastor since the first day of our church. But here's the thing. I did not know that going into it. Two young children, no meaningful savings to fall back on, unable to find outside work. When I think back on this now, I actually marvel that I was willing to do it. I was concerned. I don't know that I ever got to the place of being fearful. I don't think I did. But I certainly did not like this. It was uncomfortable. But I believed that God was directing our steps, and so I kept moving forward even though the situation was very uncertain. And if you know how church plants go, there was a lot of reason to be very uncomfortable with this situation. Let me tell you a little bit more with myself as the hero of the story. <laughs> In the early years, everything with our church went great. I'd go to conferences with other pastors, and as you would sit around a lunch table or a dinner table together, they would all just moan and groan about all of the problems they were having in their church. And uh, I could not relate, because things were going great for us. And so I sort of concluded but all of these pastors must be really bad at their jobs. <laughs> I felt bad for them. I'm like, this is so sad that you are so awful at your job that you're having all of these problems. <laughs> but nearly 15 years into this thing now, I understand what they're talking about. <laughs> so when I go to a conference, I'm the one moaning and groaning. And some young guy is probably sitting there thinking, he must really be a horrible, horrible <laughs> pastor. But over the years, things haven't always gone as expected or hoped. Challenges have seemed to come way more frequently than I could have imagined in the beginning, and some of them have been really intense. And I hope this doesn't disappoint you guys, but it's true. There have been a number of times that I have been tempted to quit. 
But even when those temptations have been at their most intense, I have always come back to believing that this, in this place, is what God wants from me. And so I have kept pressing forward. Here's the point of all of this. If you are fearful here today or you are discouraged, but you continue to say yes to God, he can work with that. God will patiently and lovingly... Sure, go ahead. God will patiently and lovingly say to you, be strong and courageous. You can do this. I'm going to help you. So what challenge are you facing that is tempting you to fear or to be discouraged? I know there are some of you here today that are struggling with serious health issues. And I I have to believe you're being tempted toward fear and discouragement because of that. Some of you here today might be facing a financial crisis that you cannot see a way out of. For some of us, we might be discouraged and about to give up because we have battled some besetting sin for such a long time and, and just been completely unable to get victory over it. And so we've come to the place where we almost just feel like throwing in the towel. Why, why fight anymore? I'll just throw in the towel. Maybe you're here and God is calling you to get into a ministry role that either you're intimidated by or you realize it's going to be such, such a lot of work. The truth is you just really don't want to do it. You're fearful or the thought of it, you, you can just see the potential for discouragement. Maybe God's been talking to you about sharing your faith with a neighbor or a coworker, but the thought of stepping out and trying to have that kind of conversation is causing you to just be really fearful. The butterflies go crazy in your stomach every time you even think about it. Maybe you're someone who's being really obedient to God. You're serving in ministry, you're walking close with him, but there is some dream that God has placed in your heart, and today you are further away from that dream than you have ever been. You see no path forward for that dream ever becoming a reality, and you're discouraged. Maybe you're a single person in here today, and you've been really conscientious about only dating someone who is a believer and who is serious about their faith. And it seems to you, well, it doesn't just seem to you, it's true, that that has limited your pool of potential mates. And it feels like it's limited it down to about eight people in the Tri-County area. (laughs) And so you are discouraged. You're discouraged. And you've been about to walk away from your commitment to only date a committed believer. And the examples of what those of us in this room might be facing could go on and on and on. The things that could be tempting us toward fear and discouragement. To every person in this room today tempted toward fear or discouragement, for whatever reason it is for you, God says to you today exactly what he said to Joshua some 3,300 years ago. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid 
or discouraged. That God speaks these words to us should be enough. But God is so gracious and loving and kind that he actually took the time to explain the why and the how to Joshua, and he does this for us as well. God told Joshua through the words of the Bible, and through the words of the Bible, he tells us today how to be strong and courageous when we are tempted to fear or be discouraged. So look now at verse 6 in our text if you have your Bible. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. So he says, be strong and courageous. And here's the how and the why. For you are the one who will lead these people. God reminds Joshua that he has been called, he has been chosen for this task by God himself. I think it would be fair to paraphrase this verse like this. Be strong and courageous for I have called you and chosen you to lead my people. It's like God saying to Joshua, I'm God and I chose you because I know that with my help you can do this. So be strong and courageous. We can be strong and courageous when we're tempted to be fearful or discouraged when we remember that God has chosen us. You can be strong and courageous when you're tempted to fear when you remember God has chosen you. When you're discouraged because of a besetting sin, you remember that God has called and chosen you. And not just that, God has declared you righteous. And that knowledge causes you to say, okay, God has chosen me for this. Now I'm actually going to submit my life to the process of sanctification. And so God says, because I've called and chosen you, you need to be willing to fight to possess what I've called you to. you got to be willing to fight against the sin so that you can live and experience and be and experience the person who I have declared you to be. He called you, chose you, declared you righteous. Knowing that enables us to be strong and courageous in fighting to become the people that God has called us to be. Maybe you're afraid of a ministry that God's called you into. But if you're pretty certain that he's called you into it, knowing he's God, he knows what he's doing, knowing that he's called you to that role, it enables you to be strong and courageous and commit to that ministry, even if you're tempted to be fearful. When you know that God has called you to honor him in the midst of your singleness, when you know that God has called you to limit your potential mates to those who love him and serve him, you can be strong and courageous and patient because you remember that God will empower you for whatever God has called you to do. You can make it. You can honor God even when you're tempted to worry that there aren't enough options this way. Even when you're discouraged because nothing is happening right now. Because you know that God 
has called you to this. Maybe some of you are here today and in your mind you're saying, Brian, what about my financial crisis that wasn't because of mismanagement, it was because of something that just hit us out of the blue, something we couldn't have planned for, we, we could not have anticipated. Maybe you're saying, Brian, what about my health problem? Are you saying that God has called me to this? Are you saying that God has specially chosen me for my poor health? Now, Christians have answered that difficult question in a variety of ways. There are some who would say that God actually has chosen you for those hardships. I personally do not believe that God sends bad things into our lives. I don't think that God designates certain of us to experience tragedy. That being said, I do believe in a God that is all-knowing. I do believe in a God who had foreknowledge of every moment of every one of our lives before any of us took a single breath. I do believe in a God who knew the number of each of our days before either of our parents were even born. I absolutely believe that God has always known everything about all of our lives. Exactly what would come to us, exactly what challenges we would face, what hardships we would face, what financial crises would befall us, what health scares would come, what chronic condition we would face, even what life-threatening disease might befall us. I don't think God caused any of it, but He knew it all. And knowing it all, he said, so be it. Because he knew that we could make it through any and all circumstances of life by his help and with his power. And so we remember that God has called and chosen us and that God enables us to be strong and courageous when we are tempted to be fearful and discouraged. Look at verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so you'll be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. For Joshua, this book of instruction uh, likely referenced the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, which had been written by Moses. So God's instruction to study and meditate on the book of instruction is very simply an instruction to study and meditate on his word. For those of us here today, we have all 66 books of the Bible that are God's word to us. And so God told Joshua, and he tells us, if you're tempted toward fear, if you're tempted to be discouraged, you have got to study and meditate on my word. And then you've got to do something else. You've got to obey it. You've got to obey what it says. And as you study, and as you meditate, and as you obey, 
you will grow in strength and you'll grow in courage. For those of us here today who are struggling with fear and discouragement, God says that you can become strong and courageous if you'll get in his word. Study it, meditate it, and obey it. So much of our fear and discouragement is a result of failing to take advantage of this amazing book that God has given us, the Bible. When we get into that book and we read of God's love and care of his people throughout history, when we read of his empowering people to do things that they could not do in their own strength, when we read of him strengthening people for times of great victory, but also strengthening them for times of great difficulty, we receive encouragement for everything that we face in life. So God says, be strong and courageous by remembering that he has called and chosen us. And God says, be strong and courageous by meditating on his word and obeying it. And now look at verse 9, the one that is on the fridge. And last week's didn't wipe off the fridge very well. So, so don't do this at home. Don't do this at home. You'll just have to repaint your fridge, all right? So don't do it. Verse 9. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. First of all, I want you to notice, and I mentioned this earlier, it is a command. It's a command. It's not a request. Be strong and courageous. I think it's interesting that in verse 6, God says, be strong and courageous, and then reminds Joshua of his calling. In verse 7 and 8, he says, be strong and very courageous, and then reminds Joshua to study the word and obey it. But it's only here in verse 9 where he says, be strong and courageous, and then follows it up with, do not be afraid or discouraged. Remembering your calling is extremely important and very helpful. Being in the Word of God is absolutely indispensable to being strong and courageous. But now I think what's happened here in verse 9 is we have reached the absolute pinnacle of why Joshua can be strong and courageous instead of fearful and discouraged. It is because the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. If you have paid attention throughout the series, and I, I hope that you have, this is the lesson that we keep learning over and over and over again. In every situation in life, God is with us, and God is enough. He's with us, and He's enough. Whatever you're facing today, you can resist the temptation to fear and be discouraged. You can be strong and courageous because of this great promise. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You're not alone. You're not facing this by yourself. God is with you. And that means you're going to be okay. In victory, you're going to be okay. 
in defeat. You're going to be okay. When you come out of the financial crisis, you're going to be okay. But if that crisis lasts the rest of your life, you're going to be okay. Because God is with you. And God is enough for you. Isaiah 41.10 contains this same promise, just in slightly different language. God said to Isaiah, and he says to you and to me, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This is today's encouraging truth for whatever challenge you face. You can put it on your fridge. You can write it on your bathroom mirror. You can buy a piece of art from Hobby Lobby. However you have to do it, meditate on this truth. Commit this truth to memory. God says to you, He commands, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For I am with you wherever you go. It's true. And you can trust God to see you through whatever you are facing today. Let's stand. Thank you.